it's Dr. Kieran here. Welcome to Bridging Medical Paradigms. In the vast and varied landscape of medicine, from the traditional to the modern, the complementary to the conventional, all paired with shifts in societal, technological and political trends. It is a tricky and tiring affair to keep on top of. My aim is to leave you feeling empowered in your engagement with healthcare, to mitigate unnecessary experiences and aim for more positive outcomes. Let's get started. Now, we provided the groundwork for understanding muscle functionality in previous episodes, including the age-related changes and the positive impact of aerobic and strength training. This is through incorporating the tried and tested principles of variation, progressive overload, sufficient rest, and so on, as well as the straight-up interrelationship of correct posture and form with core engagement. We've also touched upon the implications of an inactive lifestyle. Now, a vital layer to our muscle functionality, literally speaking, that we haven't gone into yet, is regarding the juicy topic of our fascia. This will be split into two parts, maybe three, I'll see how it goes. Today, we're going to look at what our fascia is. Next week, we're going to look at the problems that can occur and what we can do to look after our fascia. What is fascia? Going into a little bit of history, I want to share this quote from Andrew Taylor Still, who was a physician and the founder of osteopathy. It's from the late 19th century. It's very much ahead of its time, where Andrew acknowledged the functionality of fascia in that it sheaths permeates, divides and subdivides every portion of all animal bodies. By its actions we live and by its failures we shrink or swell and die. Ooh, that's nice, isn't it? He also placed emphasis on the premise that understanding our body resides in viewing the whole. We have these separate anatomical parts that have their functions but they're also interconnected and interrelated. This idea of interconnection, interrelation and viewing the whole, although it may be obvious or basic, is key to keeping our bodies fighting fit. And when it comes to treating health conditions for the long term, I think it's something that doesn't receive enough attention at times. The reason why Andrew's ideas were groundbreaking at the time in the late 19th century was because it seems prior to the 21st century, the topic of fascia in the conventional medical world wasn't fashionable. This was possibly due to the embalming methods, which posed difficulties to properly analyse the fascia of cadavers through dissection. Essentially, it became hard. And conceptions that fascia was just inert sheets of soft connective tissue that was packaging for more important body parts, like bones, muscles and organs, that had a need for inquiry. Furthermore, fascia is so pervasive and interconnected, spanning our entire bodies, that it was thought to, and probably still does, frustrate the shared goal of researchers to divide it into a discrete number of subunits to be classified and separately described. Into the 21st century, 
fascia has become a site of interdisciplinary research. So in science, medical, therapeutic disciplines, in both conventional and complementary and alternative medicine. So fascia is a burgeoning field of research and it has become evident that it is far from being inert packaging. We'll go more into this later. For example, developments in technology, such as the revolutionary method of plastination in the late 1970s, halted the decomposition of anatomical specimens, preserving it for study and education, whereby human tissue, including the fascia, could be infused with plastic polymers, enabling it to be touched and studied with a level of detail and durability that hadn't been possible previously. I don't know if any of you, if inclined obviously, went to see the Body Worlds exhibition, but this was a method that was used to enable that real human anatomy, previously only viewable in the dissection lab, to be available to the public. Okay, as I mentioned before, fascia has become a site of interdisciplinary research. Advancing research developments have naturally instigated debates on the definition and function of fascia. But for the purpose of this episode, here is the current but simplified definition of fascia. Fascia are layers of connective tissue that form interconnecting planes that span and permeate our entire bodies, from our skin to our muscle. Your body has two forms of fascia, dense and loose. Dense fascia is composed of irregularly arranged but tightly woven connective tissue that holds your tendons, muscles, organs, blood vessels and nerve fibres in place. It helps your muscles contract and stretch, stabilises your joints and can bear high tensile loads. The dense fascia planes are separated by planes of looser connective tissue whereby the gaps are filled with hyaluronic acid, a slimy substance like a natural WD-40 that enable your fascia to glide past one another. The motion between your fascia layers is a significant component of musculoskeletal mobility. It's designed to stretch as you move. A noteworthy point for you is that you've probably heard about hyaluronic acid in those face cream adverts, an American actress's secret but not-so-secret weapon to bouncy skin. It's used to increase water volume, thus viscoelasticity, meaning through its viscosity, or imagined sliminess, it can enable the skin to resist stress and strain. It can bounce back. Hyaluronic acid may also be injected into the knee joint to restore the properties of synovial fluid. The impact of hyaluronic acid is significant in many disciplines, from dermatology to orthopaedics. Surprisingly, the highest amount of hyaluronic acid is not located in the synovial joints, but in the fascia associated with supporting the tendons of mobile joints, such as in the ankle, where greater degrees of sliding between fascial layers must occur. One key ingredient affecting the structure of fascia appears to be the status of hyaluronic acid. 
Various factors include inactivity, age-related changes, diet, hydration and overuse syndromes. I'll go deeper into all of this next week. These factors can result in lowering the molecular weight of the hyaluronic acid and modifying the structure of the loose connective tissue where the hyaluronic acid resides. This leads to distortion of the loose connective tissue between the layers of the denser fascia. This causes facial densification, affecting that sliding between the layers. A good representation is to imagine two sheets of paper on top of one another. They can slide quite nicely past each other. That's healthy fascia. But if we put some, not runny, let's say set honey in between the pieces of paper, there's no chance of any sliding. Going back to the example of your ankle, you've probably heard of your Achilles tendon. Now, the tendon in itself could be damaged from a sprain, for example, but we can now see another possibility could be with the fascia supporting the tendon. It will have a big impact on the muscle functionality. You'll have difficulty in walking, instability, your ankle will feel stiff rather than supple, and there may be pain. This can in turn, if not treated, lead to the development of a problem with your Achilles tendon. So, secondary Achilles tendonitis. It's all interrelated. We will look into the treatment of this next week. But as a teaser, due to the properties of hyaluronic acid within the fascia, research has been conducted on the reversal of this alteration through modifications of temperature, pH and mechanical strain, such as massage as well as tackling those factors that may have caused it in the first place. As an extra, hyaluronic acid is now also being considered as a chief regulator of a variety of inflammatory responses, where low hyaluronic acid molecular weight is associated with higher levels of inflammation. So hyaluronic acid is more than a skin plumping aid. Now on to nerves. In 2007, an anatomy professor named Carla Stecco in Italy found that fascia has a rich presence of sensory nerves. Further research has proposed that fascia is our largest sensory organ given its complete surface area. It is intimately connected to our nervous system. An insightful paper written by Stecco and Helene Langevin, I hope I pronounced her name correctly, who has a background in acupuncture, has shown that it is through this connection with the nervous system that the fascia displays interoception, meaning it can sense, interpret, integrate and regulate signals within itself arising from the deformation of the deep tissues, So not just the skin. This also includes proprioception, so the sensory perception and awareness of the position and movement of the body. One way to demonstrate this is to grab your forearm and squeeze it, applying deep pressure, and then twist it until you feel some resistance. Can you notice the sensations from the deep tissues? 
not just at the surface of your skin. To differentiate, these sensations do not arise from the skin or joint associated structures, yet they clearly play a role in the everyday sensations that are experienced when moving and changing posture. We've discussed earlier what happens to fascia when the fascial planes can't slide past each other, leading to stiffness in the case of low hyaluronic acid. But there are, sorry to say, more factors. Do you tend to get headaches or shoulder or neck pain when you're stressed? Through its connection to our nervous system, the fascia can tighten under psychological stress. There is also a biochemical reaction which produces inflammation. This in turn puts pressure on the nerves causing pain. And the longer there is this pain stimuli, so the more it persists, the more sensitive the area becomes. We can see that, as described in The New Scientist, the fascia is just not a passive structure and far from the concept of being inert sheets of connective tissue. It's a dynamic reactive tissue. One thing is for certain though, that the burgeoning field of research into the fascia has the potential to produce even more differential approaches to not only preventing and treating our everyday aches and pains, but as a means to tackle our more complex conditions. Okay, I hope you found this useful and thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week for more on this. Oh, 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 oh,